Remove the shame of how you're feeling. Don't, don't make yourself feel, I am unworthy of getting help or talking to someone or you are afraid of judgment. If somebody judges you, that is a projection of themselves. And it's, it's one of those things of if you are battling and you, you want to, you know, it doesn't have to be a best mate. You can find comfort in speaking to a stranger, but it's just opening yourself up to having conversations and real conversations, not these shallow, superficial conversations. To me, small talk is such a waste of your time, and time is the most valuable thing we have. Engage in, in a soulful, wholesome conversation. Put your phone down for five minutes and give somebody time because you never know what can come from that conversation. You can never know how somebody else will open up to you or how much they can help you heal. And I think it's just speaking and owning your story. But I think it's a matter of just speaking and asking for help. That was Danielle Brits, and this is the Running Deep Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Run For Your Life's online no-bullshit run coaching. Have you ever had a coach who just doesn't care? And you know what I mean by this. They give you a workout plan, they send you on your way without a care of your lifestyle or what you can or can't fit into your week. I get it. We are all busy and we're all doing stuff. And look, I've, I've had a few coaches like that and it left a really, really bad taste in my mouth and sort of like it left me with a do-it-yourself attitude, which in turn led me to injury no direction, and gave running a boring monotony. So, I want to change that for you guys. With Run for Your Life's weekly affordable run coaching, we will take a different approach to how you see running, a more holistic sense. You will always have 24-7 contact with me via all media outlets for any questions in regards to your training block or training in general. You will be promised results with a bit of hard work and consistency. Now, running will become a part of your life, but that will take a little low and slow integration. And that's easy. It just takes time. You may also not go to the Olympics, but I can assure you, you will be a better you than yesterday. Now, as a coach, I'm here for you and your story your pain and your suffering, and of course, your ups and downs. I will be more than just a coach. I will be your friend and someone to talk to because I know firsthand what it's like to be lost with no direction, to hurt with no support. So, let's make that change today. Let's get it done together. And let's change your life. Choose Run For Your Life Run Coaching. Okay, we are back. Thank you for joining me once again on this week's episode of the Running Deep Podcast with me, your host, Kent Mullins. 
Now, I just want to get some stuff out of the way before we start this episode and just dive in deep. This episode is also brought to you by Social Lab. Now, the guys over at Social Lab uh, have been kind enough to let me use their space to record these magical, magical podcast sessions. And, you know, without these guys, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. Um, So, if you are a small business, real estate agent, looking to get some content and marketing done for your business, head over to their website. I will leave everything in the show notes below. Please go check them out because without these guys, this doesn't happen. So once again, Social Labs, Elijah is an amazing, amazing creator, but I will let them do all the talking. Go over to their website, sociallab.com.au, and go check them out. On this week's episode, I sit down with Danny Brits, and we discuss everything and anything mental health. This is a very, very, very powerful episode as Danny, she's no stranger to mental health bouts. Um, only recently has lost both her parents. Uh, I think it was within 13 months of one another. Now, as a young lady, how do you navigate that? And this is what we dive into. And the main key point behind this is... It's okay not to be okay. You need to reach out. You need to have meaningful conversations because you don't know when the last time you're going to see that person is. And there was tears on both sides, myself and Danny. You know, it was a powerful conversation and I'm really, really happy that I held space for Danny and we were both vulnerable and opened up about things that you... You know, she she said some things on here that I don't think she's told many other people, which is an absolute privilege that she felt comfortable enough to share it on a platform such as a podcast and Spotify or Apple Music. And that's a powerful thing. So please listen intently. Listen with your heart, have an open mind, and enjoy this podcast with Danny Brits because Honestly, so far, this is the deepest we've gone and the most fun I've had. Be open, be real, and enjoy the episode. Are we going? Cool. Um, well, we're here. Thank you very much for joining me on the Running Deep podcast. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Um, well... Yeah, where do you want to start with this? Like, where do you want to start? Because they're like, oh at, like God. I've been, re- I'm reading everything here, and what we just spoke about before, mm. um, getting on here, we've we've got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Um, so for for the audience and the listeners right now, Danny and I, um, we've known each other for three, four years almost. Yeah, and that was through the hospitality industry, and as we both know, is a very very toxic, toxic environment. Um, but, you know, I think you actually saw me. At your worst. Yeah. Man. Did you know, like, w- back then, did you know, did 
did you have an idea of what anything what, what was I going on? I knew you had a problem. Really? Yeah, because oh, when yeah. we were when we were working at the bar and you would finish in the restaurant, you would come to the bar and just be off your head. Mm. And that wasn't even midnight yet. Yeah, okay. You'd be enough. on it. I think I'll yeah, no. But uh, it was weird because you were in this like gymming training phase as well where mm. you were like buffing up and I think that was just sort of like me to just like it was like a justification if I can work out and keep somewhat fit yeah. or just go to the gym. Yeah. I can justify that with drinking and go, yeah, yeah. it's okay. So uh, yeah. Cool. Nah, I'll, yeah, that was really not a that was I was actually tactic. talking about that two days ago with Jess. Yeah. And no, yesterday. Yeah. And we're talking about how my cycle for two weeks was finish work at twelve, one, mm-hmm. two, absolutely blind drunk, and then wake up at ten or eleven. Go back to work by 12 Dude. and repeat every fucking day. How did you do weeks. it? I don't know because I was hungover every single day. And then, you know, I I just, because that was the job and that's hospitality and no one gives a shit. Yeah. You know, drinking culture and that is huge. Well, we did. Coke. Yeah. Huge. Like, um, or you, sorry, you you were in the, Fully you were in the bar. Front, yeah. But we won't, we won't say what hotel. Yes. Um, let's keep that under wraps. But yeah, so look, let's <coughs> um let's take a step back. Let's go into Danny's life. So we're just saying before that you moved here from and as you can tell by her accent, she is from I'm not even gonna try to say it in South African yeah. accent. No, I'm not gonna um, <laughs> give it away. No way in hell. South um, Africa. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. Um, I'm gonna embarrass myself. So you moved here from South Africa at age of well, at the age of 24. Yeah. So before I moved here, mm-hmm. I lived in Thailand for a year. So how, so for reference, how old are you now? I'm 30. I've just turned 30. Cool. So I was in an almost 10-year relationship before I started my traveling journey. Mm-hmm. And my partner at the time was super, you know, success-focused, career-driven, just wanted to make money. And I got to that stage at about 23 where I wanted to travel and experiences were more important to me than the the money or the materialistic aspects of life. Mm. And I think because I'd only ever known him, I, it t- I was really unhappy for a good four years of that, that nine-year relationship. Mm. And I finally, um, we, we broke up. Mm-hmm. And it was weird at how, like, I'm massive on divine timing and, and how the universe works in our favour. Mm. Um, I'd applied for a job um, at a resort in Thailand the week of us breaking up, um, the Monday. Yeah. And I was just like, if, it, if I get it, if it comes to fruition, great. If I don't, also good, I'll accept it. And that was the Monday and the Wednesday um, we broke up. Mm. And the next morning I slept at my mum and my dad's house and the next morning I woke up with an email saying I got the job and I leave the following Tuesday. So you were in South Africa at this point? Yeah, I was in Durban. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And the next week I packed my bags, all my belongings in a bag and off I went to to Thailand. It was insane. Mm -hmm. The best probably the the best experience of my life. I've I've made I made beautiful friends there that will I'll have for forever. Mm-hmm. And that's where I 
if I didn't go to Thailand, I would never have ended up in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a part, my partner, my ex-partner, we met in Thailand and yeah, it was just one of those things of like love at first sight, boom, we were like joined at the hip <laughs> and he was working on a yacht um, as a purser of a yacht in um, where Cairns or Darwin mm-hmm. or something like that. And um, so we, we were apart for a while, like every six weeks or so he would come back and um, I moved back to South Africa um, after my contract had ended. And yeah, I was there for about three months. But bef- before that, um, when I was 21, my mum was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Mm. So mum fell one day, hit her head on the on a wall. She was making her bed and her, her foot got caught up in the doona. Mm. And she just fell and didn't hit her head like frontal on the forehead, but hit it like on the soft spot at the top of your head. Mm. And dad and I were actually sitting in the lounge and we heard the thud. Of, of her head. Of her head hitting the wall. Oh, okay. And since that day, she just went downhill. And I was I was studying my sports and exercise so science. So it was just like on set? On set, yeah. Just it from hitting her like head? That. Oh my God. Yeah. So okay. the next day, it was like the balance was off, the speech was slurred. She started getting a bit of like jitters here and yeah. there. But it was like only in the mornings, um, she started gaining a bit of weight. And she, I think... I was I was studying, so we were I was learning. I wanted to specialize in like disabilities or people with disease, so meaning I wanted to really like work with people with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's or whatever the case may be. And mum, I was sitting in a lecture the one day, and the dude, my lecturer, was um, we were talking about Parkinson's disease and every single symptom that he was listing about Parkinson's. It was like... Oh, you're kidding. It was like a light bulb moment. I left class on a Saturday morning, went home and I sat my dad down and I was like, dude... Your stomach would have dropped. 100%. I felt like I was going to just projectile vomit all over the classroom. It was oh. it was sickening. Yeah. And it was just one of those... It was like a knowing. Like I knew something was ro- wrong with my mum. And when it was like that lecture was at the perfect time... The perfect day. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I went home and I told my dad, I think mum's got Parkinson's disease. And he's like, oh, don't be stupid. Like, that's just, that's crazy. And bearing in mind, mum and dad had been together for 40 years. Or, yeah, 40 years by then. So I think, like, your childhood sweetheart, you don't really want to get ill like that. You don't want anyone you love to get ill like that. Mum fell sick with, like, a stomach bug and we went to, we took her to the hospital. And she... Um, th- she was getting treated and stuff on like drips and IVs and whatever. And I went to the doctor and I was like, look, I think mum's got Parkinson's disease. You need to do tests and don't tell my dad. Because with Parkinson's, there's no actual scan, no MRI, nothing can mm. pick it up. It's all a physical test. So the doctor will be like, do this, you know, mm. with your fingers or stick your tongue out and your arms up in the air and wave your tongue around. And people with Parkinson's or PD can't do that. And... I'll never forget mum was... Um, That's so interesting. It's crazy. It's like for something you, you can't diagnose by, you know, blood test or anything like Fully. that. Fully. You know, and how how it's all been set up, it's like you've got some divine being looking down on you guys to Fully. figure that out. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, though, is with all my research is you could be a, like, perfectly healthy 19-year-old. There was a case study I read that this, this dude was 19 and he went out on, on the piss and he took, I think it was Molly. Oh, I remember and that guy. And he woke up 
full-blown Parkinson's at 19. The thing with that, I remember that story. So he said he, this is the real story, what happened. Mm. He took a pill mm. and said it was one pill. Mm-hmm. The real story came out. It was like ketamine pills, oh coke. He, so he mixed like it, it was something else. Four different drugs on one night on a huge bender after three days. Oh my god! And then something happened, and he can't. And you know, he only said it was one pill, one but it pill. ended up being a cocktail of pills that completely fucked him up. Cheeky bugger! Because it all affects your dopamine, right? That's what Parkinson's oh, is, is. Really? Yeah. So I had no idea. Yeah. So your dopamine is so far in the middle of your brain that it ours will flick at a at a rate of that like normal. Yeah. Whereas, like, my mum with Parkinson's would flicker way slower. So the dopamine dopamine's being released through the body a lot slower. That's why you start shaking because your nervous system can't keep up. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. she was diagnosed with that when I was 21, just yeah. to give you some background there. Um, and when I was in Thailand, she got really, really bad. So because I'm the youngest, I've got a brother, Sean, mm. that's 33. And... Um, Sean and my dad just kept it from me. Like, didn't tell me anything. If I'd ask when I'd phone home, how's mum doing? Yeah, good. She's she's all cool. And then when I got home, after being away for so long. And you were away for? I think it was about seven months. Yeah. Se- yeah, seven, seven or eight months. Um, and when I got home, I was just like, holy shit. Mm. What, what the fuck has happened to you? Like, uh, we had a huge family fight because of it. Did did you find it was was there a reason for your you know your your dad and your brother to hold that from you or was that to keep you safe or you know yeah I think um I think in hindsight now I I look at the situation and my dad knew that I I hadn't lived my life fully because I was so tied down in a relationship yeah. for so long and then I finally had the courage to just go you know what screw it I'm leaving and he didn't want me to come home for that reason mm-hmm. you know in his mind i reckon sean and, and my dad had it all under control yeah okay gotcha I so they didn't want to ruin my experience of like living vita loca in thailand and then come home and you know i knew what was happening it was more of like okay this is what's been happening since you've been away and it was hectic yeah hectic and yeah. then by this point you know when did you decide so you you've come home you've realized mum's Mum's really, really mm. sick. So uh, at what point do you decide, you know, you transition, you go go to Australia? When when does this come along? Because you know she's sick, you know it's all going to go downhill, but <coughs> when do you go? Or, or have I got the timeline wrong on that one? No, you, yeah. you, you're pretty spot on. Um, when mum, I got home in July and um, my partner at the time that I met in Thailand, yeah. he came over to South Africa for a visit. He actually landed on my birthday in September. Oh, okay. And... So I'd been home about three months mm-hmm. already, <clears throat> two, three months. And he was there for 10 days. He met the family. He he loved it. Mm-hmm. He spent a lot of time with my, my dad. And then we were discussing him moving to South Africa. And I said to him, look, you, you don't really understand it, how it works. Like when I'm at work, you can't just catch a taxi and go down mm-hmm. to the local. It doesn't really work that way. Um so he quickly realised that it's a very, very different country compared to Australia. Um, I think, uh, you know, like, so for the audience, I know Durban, like the back of my hand, just mm. due to my, both my parents being ultra endurance athletes as well. 
and they would run the Comrades Marathon, which is an 89-kilometer ultra marathon from Durban to Peter Maritzburg, so essentially from Burley to Brisbane. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a day. It's a, you've got 12 hours to fin- uh, finish it. Um, so I used to go to Durban quite a bit. And in, in very men- or, uh, a lot of ways, Durban is very similar to the Gold Coast. I think if, so if you look on a, a map, and draw a line from like Durban to the Gold Coast. It's mm. very, very spot on. Hundred percent. I think the only difference is you get really cold, cold fronts that come up from Cape Town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for sure, there's a lot of black people everywhere. Look, yeah, and the problem there, and it's, it's. I always get the question like, "Are you racist?" Because I'm South African. Oh fuck. And it's not that. It's 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 not about a black or white thing, or it, it really isn't. It's more of the problem in South Africa is the uneducation. So they're not educated on <laughs> your right yeah, yeah, yes. t- Sorry, guys. <laughs> I just touched the mic and did something weird. All good. Um, they're not educated. So like the newer generations are being taught by the guy, their family members that lived through apartheid. So they're still bitter. Mm. So they are basically, when their kids are in school – they teaching them what they went through. So it's making the younger generations yeah. angry. Yeah. So it's just this vicious cycle, you know what I mean? And there's no government support. So when you don't have money or when you, you're not getting support from the government, what are you going to do if you, you literally don't have two cents to scratch your ass with? Crime. 100%. Mm. And that's the problem. I think that was the biggest wake-up <laughs> call for me when we went was we were in um, – not is it Vic, no, not Victoria, no – Forgot the joint. In Durban? Yeah. Belito? Mm. Umschlanga? Just up from Umschlanga. Um, and you're in a really nice neighbourhood mm. and all the houses have... Um, it's a bit of culture shock, like barbed wire. Yeah. And electric fencing. And yeah. you're going, why? Why is this? And we noticed one night we got a... You know, whilst we were staying in... Because Dad used to live there. Mm. Um, St. Lucia. He used to teach up oh, in St. Lucia. Shit. okay. So... He would tell me all the crazy stories and whatnot, and you didn't think it was real until, you know, you get a knock on the door and you look at it and there's two black gentlemen standing there yep. looking. They're not trying to sell anything. No. They're just seeing if anyone's home so they can jump yep. the fence. They're looking dodgy as. Real dodgy. So then, you know, chase them off and then mm-hmm. go away. So it was, a, it was a lot of, you know, culture shock for me there. Yeah. And w- so going back to, you know, moving mm. um, countries mm. was – was the main reason because of your, your boyfriend at the time? Yeah. Or so just you wanted to get out of the country? I'd always want – I never – growing up, I'd always wanted to leave. Mm. Like, I'd never felt like South Africa was my home. Mm-hmm. I always had – like, I had friends, a group of friends there that – I'm still friends with some of them, but they – you know, when I phone back home, it's all the same thing. They're still doing the same thing with the same people, doing the same I thing I think on the that's weekends. relative to – but Everybody. it's so. I think it's different for me because I'm living this kind of life, yeah. and then it's like I look at that life, and I think to myself. Uh, one of my friends actually asked the other day, "What do you think? Where do you think you would be if you didn't leave your ex and you didn't move here?" And I was like, "Probably married and my second kid on the way for sure." Because mm. in my circle, that's what they do. You you get married, you have kids, and all of you do it at the same time. And I just had a d- super different mindset where I was like, I wanted to, after Thailand was like 
that was my epiphany mm-hmm. where I was surrounded by so many different cultures every single day. I was learning how to greet in so many different languages mm-hmm. and I'd made friends from all over the world, a lot in us from Australia, mm-hmm. but all over the world. And when um, my partner at the time wanted to move to South Africa, I was like, mate, no. If you've been if you've been brought up in a in a, f- a first world country, yeah. I don't think that transition going to a first a third world country is is pretty easy. No, definitely not. Hundred percent. So he was like, all right, let's try get you to to Australia, mm-hmm. and that's when the journey started. Like, and this is yeah, this is where I wanted to transition into, um, is you know from a very young age. Oh, not very young. Oh, yeah, very young age. Mm. You, you're not or no stranger to you know, difficult times. Mm. So, of course, this is where the journey starts. And, and what was your your biggest hurdle? You know, you, you're 24 yeah. at this point. Yeah. Your mum has Parkinson's. Mm. You're leaving everybody behind mm-hmm. to move to a different <coughs> country. And that's all well and good. That's exciting, mm-hmm. you know. But then after that sort of wears off, the novelty wears off that you're here now. You've plateaued. You know, you've peaked. You've gone, yep, I'm in Australia now. What was your biggest – what what was the difficult part about that? Because it's not – it's definitely not easy to move interstate, Mm -mm. let alone, you know, a country. Mm. So what – like if you can guide us through that. Oh, man. I think the biggest challenge for me was when I first moved, I went on – I came here on a visitor's visa – so I had to leave the country every three months mm. for um, seven days and re-enter because it was like a multiple entry visa. <laughs> I know. So that's just unnecessary money spent right in my head. Um, so I wasn't able to to work for a good six months of being in Oz. So my partner at the time was going to work and I was just stuck at home. I was, I was like – I had friends, really close family friends in Sydney. That's where we moved to. Mm-hmm. And um, – it was, it was really, it was a massive culture shock. I remember got wanting to go for a run. One night it was like eight o'clock and um, my partner was like, go. And I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> At eight o'clock and it's pitch black outside and I must go for a run. He's like, you're safe. It's, it's, you're totally fine. Mm-hmm. So I remember running with one, one headphone in because I wanted to hear what was going on behind me. Yeah. I get and kept like looking back the whole time. And it was a short run. It was like a five k run, but it felt so long because I, I still felt so unsafe you in the mo- yeah yeah I okay. hadn't gotten used to my environment yet yeah um but I think the the most challenging thing was a being away fr- knowing I was going to be away from my family and friends indefinitely like for a long long time like I knew Thailand I was going to go home eventually, mm. but I knew moving here it was I was immigrating. Mm. and um yeah just not working i think i've always i've worked since i was 16 years old so it was like it was a big shock and being codependent on my partner at the time and being fully you know uh, i'm your dependent you have to pay for everything i had no independence whatsoever you had no income you had nothing 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 that's tough yeah see i I experienced somewhat of that um so when Jess, my partner, and I got mm. together, 
I ended up doing a snow season. We did a bit it very similar to you, but all in Australia mm. and um, you know, head over heels for each other. Mm. Fought, fell in love ever since. And um, when we moved to Melbourne together, so we we lived in Melbourne for two and a half, three years. That yeah. first six months was one of the hardest six months of my life, even, you know, in relation to my drinking habits mm. and whatnot. Because when I moved to Melbourne, I actually didn't know anyone. I, I had absolutely no not one. one person. Not a single person. I didn't have a job. And Jess flew out of what? the country because um, she was a flight attendant for Qantas. Mm. Um, so she was out you know, three to four days of the week. And I'm at home alone. And I had absolutely nobody. So what do you do when you're bored? You're 19, 20 years old. Yeah, you get on the piss. You just get on the piss. That's how you find your friends. So I, I, luckily enough, I found friends at the gym who I'm still friends with to this day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I can somewhat relate-ish. Mm. It's daunting. Man. It, it pushes it, you out of your comfort zone. I, I, I would like cry. I, there was a lot of crying yeah. for me. So like, oh, actually the only person I knew was her family. So she had family there, but I, I was very new into her the relationship with her so oh, i couldn't yeah. just go to like awkward that was awkward, awkward phase so i was like oh okay so i can understand you know from that perspective of just like what the fuck do you, what, what do you do yeah so moving moving <coughs> forward from that you find that w- was the job that we know each other through was that one of your first or how you know no. so um i think we were in sydney for six months and we were offered a job on norfolk island literally in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Like, it is so tiny on the map. Mm. And we decided, now nah, let's just go do six months there. So my partner at the time, he was going to be like a consultant kind of thing mm-hmm. where he is the restaurant manager and gets everything up and running and, you know, brings in the different trainings and stuff from mainland being Australia. And, dude, let me tell you, that was the longest six months of my life. Like, oh, my God. Like I th- we didn't even stay there for six months, actually. What, what, what do you do on an island that small? Mate, and it's the most one of the most haunted islands in the South oh, Pacific. Why is that? Um, because it used to be a prison. <sighs> so all the Aussies and, like, the, the New Zealanders, yeah. like, the prisoners used to be shipped to Norfolk Island. Dude. If you have ever experienced something like spiritual or like this could be a paranormal, podcast in itself. Holy shit. Yeah, no, nah, I'm not into that. I swear. I didn't have a good night's sleep for the solid, like full solid three months. Mm. Like it was insane. It was no, a good you. experience, like beautiful yeah, spot. Yeah, yeah. But 1,500 people maximum live there. Yeah. And um, cold, windy, because you're literally in the middle of nowhere. And it's just a really small island where people are in everybody's business. Everyone knows. Every, it's so incestuous. Like, not yeah. being mean, but <laughs> it is such an incestuous. Know. Everyone like, knows everyone's business. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah and yeah, that yeah. one's hooking up. Like, a 21-year-old's hooking up with a 65-year-old. It's just weird Ugh. for me. Like, not judging, but kind of. <laughs> but it was just it was just weird for me. So, I'm just, like, I'm, I'm connecting the <clears> dots <throat> all here right now. Like, it's not like you had it tough, Mm-mm. but you had it tough. Yeah. 
So like it's not like you had a really bad upbringing or anything like no. that. No, but it was again. I, I and we we can get we'll get further into mm. this. I think that's you know character building mm-hmm. into who you are now. Yeah. So this is where I this is where I'm heading. Okay. Headed. So f- if you want to feel the guys or the audience, mm. the guys, girls, whoever. Um. So you found out your mum has got Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. And she only recently just passed away, unfortunately. Yeah, so mum passed on the 15th of January, 2021, so this year. Yeah. Yeah. And then the big one is your dad. Yeah. So that's where I wanted to head. And cool. if you're comfortable with this one. 100%. Cool. So your dad, unfortunately, out of nowhere, he'd known for uh, six, six or so months. Yeah. And he, out of nowhere, just... Died. Died of cancer. Yeah. So that was um, December 2019. Mm-hmm. So I lost mum and dad 13 months apart. So it was your dad first. Dad first. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And dad and I, it was always mum and Shawnee, like mummy's little boy, daddy's little girl. And dad and I were two peas in a pot. Like the, our thinking, everything, yeah. our sense of humour, everything I did, he just, he understood me like nobody's ever understood me to this day. And... um. I remember seeing him doing a video call with him and being like, holy shit, you've got skinny. Like, what are you doing, mm, dude? No. like, oh, you know, just watching what I eat, blah, 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 blah. He hasn't told you yet. No one. like, No one. Wait, so he never told anybody? No. And he just passed away? Yeah. So. Oh, oh mate, wow. I didn't. Shit. The plot thickens. The cheeky bastard was so calculated about it. Well, enhanced that now that we all know. Mm. So what happened was, I think it was like, so the 6th of December or the 3rd of, one of the two, 6th or the 3rd, my brother was held up at gunpoint mm. in Johannesburg. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, makes yeah, sense. Makes sense. Um, so th- uh, three guys came in at 3 o'clock in the morning, shoved guns in him and his partner's face and her mum and her dad's face, tied them up um, and just went ham in the house, like just you know took everything. You know how many South Africans I've heard? Of the exact same story. It's insane. The, it's like so frequent. Mm. Anyway, keep going. Okay. <laughs> so Shawnee had that trauma that he was dealing with. And I think it was about, it must have been close to like Christmas Eve or like the, around the 23rd that Sean went to Durban to go see my folks for Christmas. Mm. And when he got there, he just got to an absolute shit show. So mum was in the room. Dad was my mum's sole carer. Mm-hmm. So mum was in the room really – my mum weighed like 46 kilos. Mm. Um, and then my brother my, – my dad was laying on the couch. But to give you a bit of like perspective on what my dad was like, my, my whole life my dad would wake up, freshly shave every day, put his aftershave on, iron shirt, iron pants, like just really, really schmick. He always brushed his hair. He smelled so good. Just a really proud man mm. and um, well presented. And when my brother got there, he was lying on the couch, um, just like basically lifeless, like just yeah. skin and bone. And <clears throat> he had actually wet himself on the couch and did not know. Jeez. So I think by that stage, like his organs and stuff started failing already. And Sean was just like, my poor brother was like, what the 
fuck is going on here? Like, mm. this is just, he, I don't think he could comprehend at how, like, what was happening. Mm. Um, it would be surreal. Yeah. Because you, it's just come on so onset out of nowhere. 100%. Yeah. And he, obviously, my dad didn't want to upset my brother and they, they protected him and they protected me. And when Sean got there, it was like damage control, right? Yeah. And I think they had Christmas and my dad was a smoker. He he smoked um, all my life. And my dad, my brother said to me, I know dad's not well because he bought a pack of ciggies on Saturday and by Wednesday or something, like the middle of the week, he had only smoked two. Ooh, yeah. Now when my dad was sick, he would have like freaking bronchitis and he would still smoke ho- half a pack of cigs. So we knew that was a like a proper sign that something was seriously wrong. I, I love like <coughs> not I love, but to measure yeah someone if someone's really sick yeah, is by their habits sick. yeah yeah it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Sean phoned me. I was on my way to work. So there's an eight hour difference, time yeah. difference. They behind us, and I was on my way to work at nine thirty in the morning. And Shawnee FaceTime me, and I as soon as I answered, I was like, "What's wrong?" Mm. And it was his girlfriend and she was like, look, we have called the ambulance for your dad. He's battling to breathe. Yeah. So now I was like, holy shit. Now it's like full panic, mm-hmm. like panic mode. What? Are, how bad is it? You know, we don't know anything. But I actually forgot to tell you a pretty serious part. Three days prior to that, my mom and my dad phoned me saying, look, daddy had was like coughing in the bathroom and f- like passed out. Oh. And then hit his head on the toilet bowl. But his speech was like super slurred. Like mm. he was super dazed or whatever. Mum was like, how long, if he's if he's got a concussion, how long must he stay awake for? Because, you, you know, you oh. shouldn't sleep after a concussion. Oh, my, my heart's like <clears throat> just listening to this. It's like heart, anxiety. Yeah, it, it's like yeah. anxiety. You're yeah. a good storyteller. Keep going. So mum... I was like, well, like at least four four to eight hours to be safe. Like don't let him go to sleep at all. Keep him awake. And then the next day I phoned and I was like, I think you need to go to the doctor because he was like, I'm just dehydrated. I was like, bullshit, mate. Drink some water right now while I'm on the phone with you. And it was still like he was just off. And for that entire week, every day, I'd be phoning him like twice, three times a day being like, have you gone to the doctor? And... The last time um, I phoned him, I s- like I said to him, "Have you gone to the doctor?" And he said, "No." And I was like, "You're so selfish! Like, mm. I'm here in Australia, fucking freaking out because you are not looking after yourself." And I, I threatened to phone the Ambo from Oz and send one to him. Well, not mm. from Australia, but like yeah. phone the ambulance in South Africa and send it to his address. And he was like, I promise I'll go to the, the the doctor. Anyway, three days later or two days later, Shawnee was there. All of that happened. They phoned me saying he, they're taking dad to the, the hospital. They're mm-hmm. calling the ambulance. African time, right? Ambulance doesn't come. Dad and Sean get in Sean's car. Mm. And they take my dad to the emergency room. And as soon as my dad got on the stretcher, he flat like he coded in front of my brother. You're fucking kidding me. Nah. Like as soon as they put him on that stretcher. Holy fuck. He fucking coded. He he just Yeah. Died. Just boom. Just like coded. 
So Michaela, my brother's girlfriend, was staying at home with my mum. So Sean is having to deal with this all by himself. Far out. Yeah. That's heavy shit. Yeah. And, and you know, how do they break that news to you? Like, like that's got to be a fucking shocker. Mate, I was at the office. And it's, it's, you know, there's those days that you'll never forget. Oh. Like, you, you, you'll never forget something like that. And I was at the office and I remember getting a call. And I went in. And I said to them, look, my dad's not well. I've just got a call. I'm, I'm, Your dad's I'm, not well. Yeah, I'm just going to get um, – I'll be on my phone all day. Yeah. So by then I was looking at flights and stuff. Like it wasn't really about the money aspect. It was about how to get there fast because I could get a flight, mm. but it was like 48-hour travel, 36-hour travel, where if I was in Sydney, I can fly direct on Qantas or Emirates and it's 15 hours and I'm home. Mm-hmm. Where here it's so different. Yeah. So – I um they sent me home because I was just I couldn't concentrate I was beside myself I wouldn't even be at work yeah <laughs> so dad um my brother phoned me and he was like look it's really not looking good he he explained what had happened mm. he said they managed to revive him okay so they um did CPR and they managed to revive him oh. but mum and dad weren't on medical aid oh. now. Med for the audience yeah. in South Africa, if you don't have medical aid, you are going to a government hospital, and you, the chances of you dying in a government hospital in South Africa is probably ninety percent. Mm. There is, it is horrific to say the least. So, Shawnee had taken Dad to a private hospital, so that means really large hospital bill, mm. and um. They revived him there and then they transported him to Stanger Hospital, which is really shitty. It's a really bad hospital, but one of the best in the in the mm-hmm. region, right, in where they were. And um, I'd never been to Stanger, but I'll tell you a bit more about that a little bit later. And, yeah, they transferred Dad to, to Stanger and um, they – I think it was – it feels so long ago. Um, they had my dad on a ventilator mm-hmm. and then mum had to go, go and say goodbye. Like they, the doctors were like, yeah, let's, let's go and say goodbye. That's tough. So I'm here in my apartment in Carrara. I was still living in Carrara. Yeah. I had my ex-partner was there because we still lived together after. We broke up. And... Um, he was there. Jess was there. Um, Levi was there. Just thinking who else. Someone else was there. I had Dave, my best friend in, in Sydney, on the phone. So all of us literally had all our laptops, cell phones. Um, I think Levi was on the phone with, like, immigration agents because we needed to see if I could leave the country without a visa. Mm. Um, so he was on the phone to, like, just free call, like, consultants, trying to see if I can leave. Jess was on one website. Dave on the phone in Sydney was on another website. I was on a website trying to find the, the cheapest and fastest flight back home. And um, Sean phoned me and was like, Daddy's not – he, he updated me. He's like, look, his organs are shutting down. Um, we don't know what's wrong. Because by this time we, hadn't, we had no idea. And then um, he said they're running more tests. 
And then I think it was that night before that they got the test results and said there was lesions on his lungs. Chain smoker dad, right? And um, I remember sitting out on the balcony um, and everyone was at the house. Thank God, I've best mm. friends, dude. And um, I remember saying to my brother, can I speak to him? And he was like, yeah, cool. So he put me on loudspeaker to, to my dad's ear. And dude, if I've ever begged for anything in my entire life, it was that day. I'm not fucking getting teary. Mate, I Ooh. was literally <sighs> begging my dad mm. to stay alive until I got home. No, don't. I get it. I, I get it. I get it. Oh, mate. It's okay. Sorry. Um, all my friends were just like bawling because it was just it was traumatic for them to go through and to witness. And I remember just being like, "Please stay home. I've booked my flight. I'm coming home. I'm coming to you. Just you can go, but only once I've said goodbye." Like. My brother was crying, and Jess was sobbing, and Levi was crying. We were, they just didn't know what to do with me. And after that, I just got off uh, the phone with my brother, and he was like, we'll let you know. I said, please tell the doctor, don't move him. Let him. Be, I will be home in two days. It's like 48 hours. Surely they can just keep him where he is. Don't move him. Mm. And he was like, cool. And I got on the phone with Dave, and I was, I was having a chat with Dave. I saw my brother phoning, and I knew straight away. Cool. Dude, there was something inside of me that was like – I don't know. I'm I'm not a religious being. Uh, I prefer to say I'm more spiritual. I believe that we go somewhere after. Don't know. That's a whole other podcast as well. Mm-hmm. But I just something told me, and I phoned my brother back, and he's like, "Dinks, that's my nickname back home. Daddy's gone." Mm. And dude, if I tell you, Jess was at home by myself by herself with me because the guys had gone to get food. Mate, I had like it was almost like an outer body experience, and it sounds so dramatic. I know, I so I know exactly how you felt because of I nearly lost. Oh, in two thousand sixteen, I nearly lost my dad. Yeah, um, and this is where I'm making the connection with father figures. Mm. Is he went for six months without anyone noticing there was something wrong? Fuck he. No, no, for your dad. Yeah. So, so he. Oh, for your dad, Jesus. Okay. So that's crazy. He, you know, your your dad <clears throat> is a father, father figure, father mm. role. He wants to keep everyone safe. So his his main thing won't tell anybody mm-hmm. just to keep that father fatherly role. Yeah. Um, out of nowhere, so my dad finished a um, half Ironman. Oh shit. At the finish line, and this is why I'm I'm very similar when it comes to you know a higher power or mm. or, or something looking down. Mm. So at at the finish line, he flatlined, died. What? Yeah, <laughs> exact same. So what? He finished the entire race. He fell to the ground and had a heart attack and died. He was pronounced dead. He didn't have a heartbeat for something like fifteen minutes. So Dude. ten minutes is. 15 to 20 minutes is brain damage. Yeah. So he was 50, if, 
gone. 15 minutes. They used the defibrillator. Defib- how do you defib. say it? Defib. Let's just yeah, go with defib. defib. Brought him back to life. My sister's watching it. My cousins are watching it at the finish line. Dude. And I'm I'm in, remember this, I'm in Melbourne. Melbourne. I don't know anyone. I have no one to console me. I have no one to talk to. I get the call. Um, this is the thing that fucks me up the most is the entire race. So he had a blocked artery. Artery, yeah. Somewhere in his body. Mm. He could have died or, or drowned. He could have, he had it for so long, but yet he, f- he did it at the finish line. The safest place to have a heart attack. He Dude. could have had it on the bike. He, you know, a 90 kilometer bike ride at any point could have cocked it on the run. Um, could have cocked it. Yeah. Swim, could have drowned. Yeah. A- and, you know, I get the call. Kent, please be please be calm. Jess is in a different country. I have... Because <gasps> she's still yeah. an air hostess. So I get the call, Kent, please be calm. But uh, this is where I don't want to cry either. It's okay. Um, I get the... Yeah, I get the call. Kent, your dad's... Just had a heart uh, had a heart attack at the finish line. Um, as soon as I heard that and how calm my my, my cousin was when mm. she was saying that, mm. it didn't. Uh, they thought he was gone. I thought at that moment immediately I might have lost my dad. Yeah, I had this out. I felt like I was on drugs. I felt like it was like a trauma response. Yeah, to feel like and this is where I connect those dots. Yeah. Of getting away from that situation, my brain automatically went into this drug response. Yeah. Okay, to get away from the situation, you, you need to feel like you're on drugs. Yeah. To get away from. Yeah. It, you know, not to feel that emotion, and I felt like I had actually taken some pills, and I had this yeah feeling of like I, I couldn't sit still. I was all over the Pace. Show. yeah. I was pacing, pacing. And, and but it <clears> felt <throat> like I was I, I had taken drugs. Yeah. So anyway, I get on that. Um, first flight to uh, Sydney, where, where the uh, or Penrith, uh, where the Iron Man was, and he was on on I he he was gone. They they had him um, hooked up to machines. breathing machines and all that. And oh. walking in and seeing that and seeing your father figure, mm. and this is where I can relate. It's your dad. It's your yeah. it's the guy that brought you up. Yeah. To see him in that state, the guy that you your looked protector. up to, your protector. To see him so vulnerable and in in that condition mm-hmm. was the most gut wrenching, uh, and, and for the audience, sickening. you know, it, it is the most sickening feeling mm. to see your protector, the guy that brought you up, and taught you life lessons, to to be so beat down and gone, is just it's a really really horrible feeling, mm. um, and I again it's one of those days I'll never forget, and the wor- I think the worst of it was. Him waking up and him not having memory and not actually – he remembered everybody else in the room except me. Stop it. Mm. So he looked at me and said, who are you? And that was the moment I – you know the cry you get when when you've got no um, – Control. Control in your leg. You cl- yeah. You collapse into a mess on the ground. Yeah. And people have got to hold – I couldn't – I couldn't hold myself up. Oh, my God. So I had to leave the room. Anyway, it, it progressed. He mm. got better. He's alive today, which thank, thank God for that. So Shit. I, I, you know, going back to yours, I, I completely mm. and utterly understand that. Mm. So now, you know, moving forward with that one, he's passed away. He's gone. Mm. 
you know, and it's not like 13, how, how long, 13 months? Yeah, between well, uh, it, was, it would be the 30th of December this year will be two years. And and with your mum? You, mum was, was, yeah, 13 months apart okay, 13. between mum and dad. So for your mental health, um, how the fuck did you not fall into a heavy, deep, dark depression oh. of drugs, alcohol? Like you probably, you know, keep that to yourself, but... Did you? Internally by myself, yeah. And and how the like what what do you what did what did you and this is what I want for the listeners to mm. you know because the whole point of this podcast is to have real conversation about real fucking issues. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm getting really worked up and passionate about this yeah. right now. Because you guys are not the only ones that are going through shit. You know, David Goggins, one of my, you know, the guys I looked up, look up to, you know, his thing is everybody in this world that you know, your parents, your parents' parents, your uncle, your auntie are all fucked up in one way or oh another. Oh my God, yes. But we all have a really, really good way of hiding it. Yes. And, you know, how did you, what did you do to keep yourself afloat and not kill yourself? Like, okay. What did you do? All right. So this is where it gets heavy. Um, I remember that night trying to sleep. I don't know, for some weird reason, I felt, I felt scared. Like I felt like almost like my dad was there and I wasn't familiar with that feeling. Right. I didn't even want it. Yeah. And I remember waking up the next day being so numb, just like a zombie and saying to Nate, I have to go and get pills for um, how I'm feeling right now because there's there's no way I can get on a 15-hour, 24-hour travel to South Africa feeling this way by myself. And I went to the doctor and he gave me diazepam. Mm. And I, I've never taken anything like that. Shit knocked you out. Yeah, mate. Let me tell you, I was drooling on my neighbour on the plane. That's, yeah. And I remember going so quick. So from the time dad died to the time I got on the plane to the time I arrived in, in Johannesburg or Durban, I, I still really wish I could remember where I, I don't even remember where I flew into. Shit. Um, anyway, so until from here to South Africa, I don't remember much. Mm-hmm. Um I think that'd also be another trauma response, like 100% to just blocking it out, lock it out. And I remember getting home and Shawnee fetching me from the airport and saying, Are "You ready to see Mum?" Mm. I was like, "Heavy, mm-hmm. heavy," because now it was it was Sean and I. It was only us four ever. So Dad's gone. Now it's isn't it weird at how when you get older. You become the parent almost mm-hmm. with your with your your parents, mm-hmm. and I remember saying, "Yeah, cool." I got my mama like a bangle, and as soon as I walked into the front door, I saw mum in a wheelchair. So now, by this time, she's wheelchair bound, and um, I like we had been separated for what two years. Mm-hmm. I hugged mum and we had a cry and. It was the one of the most beautiful, special moments. 
but it was more of the fact we got to just keep going. So between Sean and I, we had the, the stress of everything. We had a storage unit that was packed f- to the brim full of shit of 35 years of history with mum and dad. So it was almost like we just had to keep going. We didn't have time to sit down and mentally prepare ourselves or go through the grief. The grief had to be on hold because we had to look after mum. We had to get mum from Durban to Joburg. We had to either make a decision of we're going to hire a 24-hour care for her or we're going to put her in a home. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, my parents always joke that when we get older, you're just going to throw us in a home. Well, yeah, yeah. You had to. We had that. to yeah. put her in a home because Sean couldn't look after her. That we also had to look at costs. So it was like, it was just bizarre. And only once I got home. This one really like. Set in. Set in. Because now I'm back in my my, my natural environment yeah. of what I'm used to. And now I just keep thinking, what now? Like everyone else moves on. You know, my dad died, mm. but everybody else's lives just carry on. Like the grief's still within me. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with one of my, my best mates in Sydney, Benny. And Benny was like, dude, you need to, you need to deal with this shit. And I was like, yep, 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 cool. Training religiously. Twi- I would go on a, on a 10K run in the morning and I would train at night or vice versa. Mm. It was like I was going hard. Dude, I lost so much weight. I was weighing like 57 kilos and I'm not a short girl. Mm. I was so skinny. And I was just, to me, that was my way of, it's either going to be that or it's either going to be the drugs and the alcohol route. Because Lou, one of my other friends, had just lost her dad and she dealt with it, dealt with the death of her dad in a more traumatic way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I dealt with it in traumatic way as well, not good on your body, but just overly excessive. I was I was Hammer, 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 keep going. Don't even shin spins, dude. Yeah. I didn't care. I'd wear two pairs of compression socks. Hadn't I didn't give a shit. I was just like, if I feel the pain, great. If I don't, sweet. But see, in a way, because I've, I've been there, it's you know that pain's good. Yes. And and that pain, I deserve that pain because there's nothing yes. else I could could have done. And you know, my and parents, the guilt. Yeah, the guilt. And again, another trauma response. It. I. Uh, yeah. I've. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I think that was the biggest thing that I was thinking it was the grief. It was more the guilt of the last conversation I had with my dad because I told him he was selfish. And then you look back on that and you go, no, like. It was fear. It's fear, but it is also selfish. Selfish, 100%. And we we always try to justify to ourselves and go, oh, that that wasn't good because, you know, he didn't like it, but because it's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It, it, is. Self- it was so selfish. Six months or yeah. however long. Didn't tell, tell you guys whatsoever and then suddenly, boom, gone. Boom. Yeah. That is selfish. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And my thing was I was carrying that guilt around of, oh, my God, the last time I spoke to my dad, I called him selfish and I never spoke to him again. Mm. I screamed at him and that was it. And only... Well, uh, I think in a way you need to <clears> own that. Yeah. And go, yeah. That's the truth. It only and in hindsight, yeah. though. It's funny. You always look back and you can connect the dots. Yeah, you can. Always. You can be like, wow, okay, I was in that headspace. I was doing this at the time. Like, mm. 
the different stages of my life, like so after dad died, I I met another guy and I started dating another guy and this is where it gets so screwed up because I was distracting myself with my fitness, my running, my friends. What about your job? My job, a dude I just met. So I was like, wherever I could be distracted, I was Mm. taking it up and I wasn't, I was too scared to feel that kind of pain because I knew it was going to be so hard. And they say there's like seven stages of grief. Mm. Mate, if I tell you when my mum died, I'd only maybe eight weeks prior to mum dying, did I only grieve my dad. I'd gone months, like 11 months without dealing with my dad's death. But now Mm. the universe took me out of my environment here on the Gold Coast, put me in Sydney where I had no close friends. Well, like, right, like I've got here down the Mm. road. All my close friends were an hour or two drive away. In an apartment in Sydney by myself, my partner at the time was working night shift. So I would work a normal job, come home and be by myself. Mm. And that I think was the universe's way of being like, right, mate, we've given you so many chances to deal with your grief. Now fucking deal Fuck with you. it. Fuck you. Yeah, okay. You're going to deal with it. And if I tell you I have never, I wanted to die. Mm. I told Sarah... <clears throat> my best friend yesterday, because we were talking about me coming to do this. It's okay. Like, I, I'm, I'm, this is an open space. And you and the it. audience. <laughs> are Use this. Take your time, <coughs> please. Sarah was the first one I told yesterday. Um, I was sitting in my apartment in Sydney and I was at home by myself and I remember getting off the phone with Ben and I was just crying, dude. Like, uh, Gut-wrenching. You can physically yeah, feel that yeah, pain. I yeah, it's it. like yeah. that physical heartache. Yeah. Yeah. And f- yeah. And I remember lying on the floor crying to Benny going mate is this ever going to go away mm-hmm. like is this pain ever going to leave and he's like you got to do the work mm, that's fucking powerful and I was like what do you mean he's like have you done the work have you meditated have you journaled have, and he just started listing and I was like no Prior to that conversation, I just walked out of my apartment to my lift trying to get to the roof. Mm-hmm. And got to the roof and I couldn't get to the roof. I couldn't get in. Security, obviously. Mm-hmm. Went downstairs, got on that phone with Ben and that was my perspective. Mm-hmm. Have you done the work? But have you, like, look at that from a sort of metaphorical standpoint you know you've tried to get to the top to do to do that Mm. to to kill yourself Mm. you can't roadblock all right let's come back let's come back down to earth let's come back down and let's just get on the phone yeah and then he he drops that bomb on you and then you go oh big light bulb moment 
Okay. <clears throat> See that? It, it's funny with a lot of these stories and, and journeys that people go through. And so all it fucking takes is a light bulb moment, a mm. simple sentence, a simple action yep. to just, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yep. And that is like a divine experience mm. for you. And whoever said it to you, this Benny guy, yeah. wouldn't even have known that was a defined moment. Nah. For you. After that, that's when the healing and stuff started happening. Mm. Because I'd just started my 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 road of like journaling, writing down my thoughts every day. Mm. But I started with just being like grateful, like list three things that you're grateful for, and then you know do your affirmations. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like. I am starting to heal. I am grieving my dad. I was telling myself, this is what I'm doing and I'm working through it now. I'm unpacking. And a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, came back into my life at this point and we started talking, but he was going through something super screwed up in his, like, professional world and we never had that, like, deep, intimate, like, relationship where we could talk about our feelings but somehow the universe brought us together and he was a massive part of me going like I'm not okay it's funny like the thing I always follow is (laughs) perception is projection so what you know these people that the people that are in your life right now are meant to be in your life because of who you are you know Drug dealers hang out with drug dealers. Yes. Some really successful entrepreneurs hang out with really successful entrepreneurs. Yep. You know, birds of a feather flock, flock together. together. So, you know, these people that are in your life are, are with you because of what's happened. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just a really beautiful way to, mm-hmm. t- to put that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And that's when we started learning about, um, like, have you ever heard of Brene Brown? No. So she's this author, dude, that you you should really read a book. It's about vulnerability and how vulnerability can change everybody's life. Because you take in, normally with when you talk vulnerability, shame is attached to it because you you feel shameful Mm. because you feel a certain way or a a girl gets raped and she's vulnerable enough to to tell somebody she's been raped, but then shame comes along with it. Mm. And... So this this author has dedicated her entire life to educating people and studying vulnerability. That's a it's a power though being Massively. vulnerable <clears throat> and opening yourself up gives permission for others to do the exact same thing. 100%. If you what I learned is if if I look unapproachable, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> if I look I'm going to cry. It's okay. Big breaths. It's okay. Take your time, please. Big breaths. Center. Wow. If I let it go, dude, it's just going to be like ugly crying. Like I can't even... All right. <coughs> You're here to give a I'm message. Okay. This is it. Let us know. So, he, this friend of mine, mm. 
put me in the forefront of Simon Sinek. Yeah. Yeah. You familiar? Yes. And he is massive on vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I read a couple of his books mm-hmm. and that was when my life changed. Yeah, I had uh, the, the guest I had on last week. You know, once you start taking care of yourself, watch how everything around you starts to change. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're taking care of yourself at this point and then... It just all came together. Mm. It was like the stars aligned. Yeah. It was like, oh, man. <clears throat> wow. Can't you, like, you can see, again, 2020 hindsight, you look yeah. back and you go, this, and I'm a true believer in everything that happens to us is setting us up for the next big thing, mm-hmm. whether it be good or bad, whether it be, you know, rejection mm-hmm. or, get it, or getting it or getting the job, it's all setting us up. So you've lost both parents. What's the silver lining in that? Of course, fuck, that fucking sucks. Sucks, like more, sucks isn't even the word. it is disgusting Mm. and you've come through that and you probably still are going through it but that has set you up for the next big thing and this is how i can relate ultra running to it you know you you go through the really shit time peaks and valleys you go you go you know on on the recent lines (laughs) it gets really really hard for your case this this is really hard there is no no you know I can't say ultra running and <laughs> what you went through is the same, but very similar instances. You you Mentally went through the fucking is. shit. <clears throat> you you copped it more than most, and that sets you up for the next big thing. Now you are uh, well equipped to deal with whatever's coming next, and that could be good or bad. But now looking looking back, you go, okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. So like, I I just love that, and that you know. You started taking care for yourself, care of yourself, yeah, and then you start to blossom. Everything starts to, you know, get better. Of course, you're gonna go up and down. That's just life. No, it's great, but it's 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 the truth. As soon as you turn up for yourself, because we turn up in our job, you know, family for your family, but in this day and age, and I think this can be related back to social media and everything we were talking about prior. With this social media culture we have now, we are turning up for everybody else. We want the likes and we want we want people to look at us the way we want to be mm-hmm. looked at. But we're not actually turning up. F- for who matters. For who matters. And yes, of course, your parents and shit and all that matter. Yeah. But we, we, we forget to look in the mirror and, and go, okay, I've got to take care of this guy. I, I've got to stop giving a fuck about yeah. what everybody else thinks. Because in the end, even if... Like, fuck family off for a second. 100%. In the end, it's just us. Dude, my dad used to say a saying. He used to say, Dings, when you come into this world, you come in alone. Mm. Inevitably, you, you're entering alone. Yes, you have your mum's help, but you don't remember it. You're mm. coming into this world alone. When you check out, you're going alone. And in between coming in and leaving, you are stuck with you mm-hmm. for your whole life. So in between that, you have to make you happy. And I remember saying to myself after going through like everything I'd went through with mum and dad, I don't love myself. I did not love myself. I had, I always felt like the the connection of self-love 
became like narcissistic. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm. oh, you love yourself. You, you're a narcissist. But then I started educating myself and reading articles and like watching documentaries on self-love. And it's so much deeper. And hard. Hard, painful. And this is why people, you know, we are a culture of lazy, lazy people. Yep. And who the fuck wants to do the, the work? work? No one. Because, uh. you know, you've, uh, you know, everything's done for you already. Mm-hmm. You foods. Go buy, you know, yep. Hello Foods, uh, yeah, Hello Fresh, you know, <laughs> gets, gets delivered to Your you. Your protein shakes. You don't in have a to do anything yeah. anymore. No. And finally, this comes up, and 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 to, d- and this is why I find a lot of people are still stuck in where they are, because we are lazy. I'm so I, lazy. I was lazy up until you know I wanted to fucking die. Yeah. Transition. Put it lightly, yeah. Jesus, mate. Um, and. You know, in this day and age, I think there's now a shift. Yeah. There's definitely a shift, but still people don't want to do the work. Mm-mm. Who the fuck wants to meditate for 15 minutes out of the day? And Be- then you, the thing is, people go, I don't have the time. Oh, man. I Make have. the time. This is from last week's episode. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got 24 hours in a day and, you know, Far 15 out. minutes out of your day is one what? One session of scrolling on Instagram. Oh. Half a session, actually. You know, who? a run. I don't have time to run. Mm. All right. It, you know, oh, this is a whole podcast in itself as well. Um, you know, we are lazy. This 100%. this society we live in now, whether we like it to say it or not, and I'll put my hand up mm. and say I'm fucking lazy. But, but you and me are doing the work because of what has happened to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think... Everyone needs to go through some sort of adversity to hit that rock bottom because 100%. if you don't, then you have nothing to compare to. You're just going on that path. And and funnily enough, the fair few people or, f- or people that are and have hit rock bottom and that are turning it around mm. are funnily enough in the same group of friends or, or know one another, you know, birds of a fl- feather flock together. And I wouldn't be meeting the people... I'm meeting today if it wasn't for me taking the stand and going, hey, I want to do something about it. Totally. Um, I think if without the the hard times, you cannot appreciate the good. mm -hmm. Can you imagine if life was just like smooth sailing all the time? But then you would get used to that smooth sailing. Exactly. And then where's your next time? 100%. So you'll plateau like with happiness. But then when something, just a little thing that, that's mm. bad that happens to you, it will feel like your world is crumbling. Mm. And that's why it always happens like a bad thing happens, but then an extra bad thing happens and it, like knocks you straight off your feet, right? And that I say to myself with that shit, I go like, just fucking come at me. Like I'm, Hundred, I'm like ready. I want to grip my teeth into this yeah. thing and it's going to suck and it's going to yeah. oh, fucking yeah, come yeah. at me. <laughs> That's what I want, and I'm ready for that next yeah. big thing. And I can feel it coming. Mm. Um, you know, in one of my first podcasts, I mentioned I haven't had you know two or three weeks where you know nothing bad is like something has always happened. Something mm-hmm. bad, whether it be with family or friends mm. or work or anything like that, so something always you know, riddled with anxiety. Mm. But now, because of this mindset I've I've taken on, it's like I'm ready. Like mm-hmm. fucking come at me. I'm ready yeah, for this let's shit. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now to pivot this, um, so for you, when you say do the work, 
We're doing running. Yeah. Meditation. Yeah. Journaling. Yeah. Three things you're grateful for. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. I've started doing two things in the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. I high five myself in the mirror. It sounds so fucking That's dumb. That's legend. But when I'm feeling really fucking down, yeah, I look. I I'm not even kidding. I'll look in the mirror and go, "You fucking got this." Because as as we just How said, good is that? It, I'm the only one that can get me out of it. Yeah, and I'm the only one in that mirror. I can high five someone else, but they don't know what I'm going nah. through. So it's that connection with yourself, and it's so simple. Um, and there's another one I, I've recently been doing. Her name's Mel Robbins, mm-hmm. uh, public speaker, done a few TED Talks. Yeah. Come up with this rule with the five-second rule. And it's to rewire your brain to just go do it. Yeah. So you count backwards, five, four, three, yeah. two, one. And once you start that countdown, you've already committed to the process. Yeah. So you count back, five, four, three, two, one, you just do the thing. Yeah. So it doesn't give your brain to time to you know, have that negative thought about yourself. Yeah. So you start, you catch yourself out, think, fuck you, you're a dickhead yeah. or you're not good enough. Or boom, you, you catch yourself. Yeah, five, four, three, two, one, get and, and you tell yourself internally to stop doing that habit. It's, it's like actually a form a of manifestation, right? Yeah. So you, you, it's, it's, a, it's a, if you want to form a new habit, very, very good way yeah. to do it. Um, so they're, they're your main ones that, you, you know, you mm. sort of, used to come out of that depression mm-hmm. now with this point with you know you've lost your mum you've gone into this you've, you're coming out of it what are some other personal development tools mm. um books people that you follow anyone in your life that has been a a major key role or played a major key role in your life to, to point you on this traje- trajectory mm. yeah Firstly, my, I would say the biggest thing to help me with all of what I've gone through was my self-love journey. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm going to tell you this, but I'm going to just mm. do it, whatever. So I took six months and I abstained. That's cool. Yeah, because I felt... I have, no, I've, I've, it's funny. This <laughs> is another... Everything you're saying mm. has been said in the past two, two weeks. Really? Yeah, so I, I don't watch porn anymore. Oh, you don't? No. So that's a personal choice because I'm giving up my addiction to addiction that. Addiction because addiction. Uh, us boys, including you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm un- outnumbered here. You don't. <laughs> He's shaking his really? head. Really? Cool. Oh, that's fucking Sick. awesome. Sick. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't I don't watch porn, uh, just for that cause of it, it's not real. Yeah. It's the it, fantasy. It, it is. Essentially, a it's not a drug. It is a, a you could. I'm not going to call it a drug. It's something you get addicted to. Mm-hmm. It's something that's not real. It's something you go to. It's Instagram. Yeah, basically, it, it's something you go to to just go through the motions and go. Yep, I like that. Mm-hmm. Like watch, get it done, mm-hmm. whatever. So I I've recently just completely stopped from doing that. And funnily enough, the relationship I have with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the relationship I have with the people around me, it's sort of like a power to, to because it, it is so overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, no one gives a fuck, but one, once you, it, it takes away the power of being a man or a woman. Yeah. Um, so, you know, funnily enough, my relationship with Jess mm. has gotten a lot closer, not, not from a sexual point of view, but just being present with my partner. Totally. Um, so you, you, you know, you, you, you did that mm-hmm. six months. Mm-hmm. Cool. And I honestly thought it was going to be way, way harder. 
It's not like, because it's not your focus. No, nah, it's just like I set myself. I had so many of my friends being like, Danny, you're never going to do it. But think about it because they're, they've, you know, that that's their life. Yeah. What you focus on, you find. They're, they're focused on that. That's one of their key exactly. things. Exactly. But now you've got other, you're, you're on self-love, you're on a self-love journey. Totally. You want to start exploring. Sex is always going to be there, but you, you want to start exploring. Yeah. Everything other than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So I did that and I think that was my biggest thing where I was like, I'm going to half-five myself. Like I should mm. start doing that actually. If I was doing that, I would definitely give it my half-five. If you feel shit, high-five yourself because yeah. that person That's is the only great. one that is knowing what you're going through mm-hmm. and to go, yeah, fuck, you're doing a good job. Boom. Totally. In the mirror. You should do that as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, and talking. Yeah. I stopped. Uh, that's a... Uh, I've said this in previous posts with talking. Mm. You know, we, especially in, in this day and age, there's a lot of mental health awareness. 100%. Excellent. Great. Great. But no one's doing anything fucking about it. Yeah, of substance about of it. Of substance. Yeah. And you set up these GoFundMes and all, and all that. And that's great. Mm. That and But chucking 50 bucks at a problem and going, oh, that's going to go away because you know, it feeds the ego. Mm-hmm. So now with Run For Your Life, I want the real raw conversation, you know. Let's just cut the shit and be human let's beings. Let's be human. What are we hiding from one another? Yeah. There's nothing to hide because we're all fucked up. Totally. And we're all trying to hide it. We're all navigating. We're all, navi- oh. we're all, you know, you look around and, and you see these people with their heads, you know, screwed on. You go, oh, that guy's got it all under control. And then you go get to know him. He goes, oh, no, I'm, you know, 700 grand in debt. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm fucked. I'm, I'm fucked for life. Totally. They've got a good way of hiding it. So this is the thing, you know, conversation, you know, conversation isn't the only thing. There are so many other things, but conversation and having a conversation like this mm. is one of the best ways, in my opinion, to help mental health. Mm-hmm. And and when I say conversation, I don't, oh, I'm feeling sad. That's not Oh, that's really, really bad. Yeah. And, you know, tap, tap you on the leg. Oh, you'll, you'll get better soon. Right. I'm talking, let's go deep on it. Let, let's really unwrap it and unravel it and find out what makes it tick because once you do that everything else dissipates and you realize it's not as bad as it as what we thought it was at the time it reminds me of my thoughts of like i think it's a great it's a great cause and i've got nothing against it but i don't think it should be a day to ask someone are you okay are you okay I think we should it's be doing that to – Yeah, it is. It's a marketing tool. And I think the, the, the problem is is that, oh, there's this hype of like, it's a, are you okay day? And people are just sharing it to be cool. Are you actually asking your friends that you've just shared this post on Instagram, are you actually asking your, your family or sending a message to all your mates going like, hey, buddy, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Not just on are you okay day. Once again, I had this conversation last night. Mental health has become a trend. Yes. It's trending. Yes. It's it's not I'm not saying it's cool, but right now, and for those who are listening that completely disagree, mm. fuck you because this is what I do. Totally. And these are the people I talk to. Mental health has become a trend. It is the you know, a, a lot of people wear the mental health badge mm-hmm. as a I've got a mental health problem. Mm. Okay. Cool. That that's absolutely you know, that really fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. What are you doing about yeah. it? Oh, no, no. I just put, I, I put up an Instagram post. I put up, you know, I, I just tell people that I've mm-hmm. got a problem. Cool, cool. That's great. What are you doing to help your situation? Mm. 
what are you doing? What is the work you're putting in? What's the work you're doing? Yeah. Oh, I do a 10-minute meditation. Okay, that's a great start. Amazing. Once a week. Once a week. But you're still going out drinking, doing yeah. drugs. So yeah. are you? is this a ploy to say, hey, I, I need attention? Mm-hmm. Or are, are you actually struggling? Mm-hmm. And this is a very, very tough topic because of, you know, you don't want to offend people. Nah. But right now, with growing suicide rates, it is a topic that has to be spoken about totally. because people are fucking it up for the rest of us yep. that are really, really struggling. 100%. People without problems who are doing it for attention, and this is true, this is a fucking thing that happens. Mm. People without problems are saying it for attention, especially yes. on social media. Clout. It's for clout. And I, I've seen it, you've seen it, and it, it's mm. giving it a fucking bad name. It is. It really, really is. Um, it's taking away the actual meaning of that special charity or that special cause. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there's, it's now um, a trend to have an influencer as an ambassador of a, a charity. My biggest thing but is... But if you just pull that apart, yeah. you're getting an influencer to promote... Market. Market yeah. a mental health organisation. Yeah. Why would we need to do that? Because they want to raise, not the awareness, awareness well, the money. it's not, it's raise funds. Yeah. You know, so awareness is there. We all, as I've said again and again, we all know depression sucks, anxiety sucks, mm-hmm. PTSD sucks. But what are we doing as a society mm-hmm. to, to, to break that boundary, to really step it up? And again, this is what I want to do with Run, Run For Your Life mm-hmm. and the Running Deep podcast is to... Get real people on them. I don't want a fast elite runner at the five k. Oh, if you yeah, are, no. come come for a run. Yeah. But I want the real person that is struggling, the mum, yeah. single mum who is struggling. Yeah. That needs to battling just to to pay her bills and look after her three kids and just to be around people who are similar. Again, birds of a feather flock together. Like minded. Like minded people, yeah. and and this is what I find with the people that are following the journey and yours. Mm-hmm. Very similar, mm-hmm. very, many, very, very similar stories and people that get connected to this narrative and this story and my story, they're all got a similar story and this is who I want to attract yeah. into, you know, this audience and for you guys listening. Um, well, that just got, re- I just went on a fucking tangent. I love that. Um, I freaking so, love that. And, and it is real and raw because I'm in this space. Mm-hmm. This is something I'm passionate about and I'm not afraid anymore to speak my mind. Mm. Because I know my truth and I know the truth of mental health because I've been there. And that's why I'm getting these people on, like yourself, who understand, mm-hmm. who have been through trials and tribulations yeah. and know what, what their truth is. I'm not saying others' truth truths are wrong. Mm. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that other people aren't depressed. Mm. There's a certain way around it and there's a certain ego now around mental health mm-hmm. and mental health awareness that's ruining it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've just had a thought. When, when we worked together, um, we weren't really close, were we? Oh, that's your phone. Russia. Mm. Oh. Um, no, but we, we... We weren't close. We could appreciate each other and the work. Yes. But if you think about it now, I've watched your journey and I've like 100% appreciated what you've done with you know, run for your life mm. and, and the Running Deep podcast. And it's like our mindsets now are on the same page because you're healing. You went through some you, hectic shit. Mm. 
I've gone through some hectic shit, and now it's like it's we've aligned. got a yeah, mm. we've 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 created a, fr- a friendship now where it's like, hey, dude, I need I need help on this, or um, can we just have a chat, or whatever the case may be. It's like, oh, okay, I, I feel. The old Kent, I couldn't sit down here with and be like, mate, this is what I I've d- gone through. I don't through. think anyone. Nah. No. But because you've gone through what you've gone through and you've been so open and vulnerable about what you've gone through, that's been giving me the courage to be like, yeah, I want to sit down and have a conversation with you because that's how we connect. And 100%. we've connected and <clears throat> it's a great friendship. I, um, you know? I appreciate you and I appreciate what, what you've said today, mm. especially being being so open about this, and it's tough. Mm. That that's a hard thing to do. So, you know, I I think there's a lot of power in that, and I think after this, you'll realize what you've just done, and there is a big power of being, you know, especially on a, a social media platform, mm. and the, you know what we're doing right now. Mm. There is definitely huge power in that. Massive. Um, so just quickly, how are we going for time? too bad um how much time do we have look i think <laughs> we could we could land this let's land this pretty pretty shortly cool. um so i think what what i what i want you to tell the mm-hmm. audience now i i think yeah let's come down because i i'm how i'm planning it i want to get back on cool later a couple weeks couple yeah. months and that we can see how we how, how you yeah. how you're going yeah because this is all still recent. This is really yeah. condensed. Like, this is years and years condensed into our twenty. Yeah. Um, and there's much more to talk about. Oh my god, we can um, go off on a tangent. So let okay, let's land this thing. Let's bring it back down to earth. Let's because that was I got fucking passionate <laughs> just then. I don't know if you, you saw that as well. I, I love got it. really into that. Um, <laughs> so is is there a message? Is there something? You know, you want to tell a younger you, a person on the other (coughs) side of the microphone or the the screen, what is a message, what is a, something that's helped you, what, yeah, something that's helped you to come out of that depression? Remove the shame of how you're feeling. Don't, don't make yourself feel I am unworthy of getting help or talking to someone or you are afraid of judgment if somebody judges you that is a projection of themselves themselves. and it's it's one of those things of if you are you're battling and you want to you know it doesn't have to be a best mate you can find comfort in speaking to a stranger, but it's just opening yourself up to having conversations and real conversations, not these shallow, superficial conversations. To me, small talk is such a waste of your time and time is the most valuable thing we have. So engage in, in a, a soulful, wholesome conversation. Put your phone down for five minutes and give somebody time because you never know what can come from that conversation you can never know how somebody else will open up to you or how much they can help you heal and i think it's just speaking and owning your story 
you know, saying, yeah, I've had some shit, but I'm here. I've got the best friends to pick me up when I'm down. But I think it's a matter of just speaking and asking for help. That was really, really good. That was really, 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 really good. I am so <coughs> happy we got to do this today. I'm so Thank happy you. you, Elijah, got to witness that and be a part of that. It was yeah. I'm just happy you boys got to just be a part of that because that was really good. Thank you. That was amazing. How do you feel? That was like a it's a mini <laughs> counseling session. Liberated. It's good. It's so liberating. I'm happy. I'm yeah. glad that you got Thank to you. say what you said, especially on a platform like this. Mm. It's 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 amazing. Thank I'm you. really, really glad to have done that with you. And we'll I'm proud of again. you as well. I I'm proud of you. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> no, I am really I'm really happy. I'm I feel good. I feel yeah. fresh. That was powerful. That was great. I'm so stoked that you boys were here Thank for you. that. I'm stoked. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. So much love for you, my friend. Oh.